0: Welcome to the Jacked on the Beanstalk Vegan Podcast, hosted by the Shorky Sisters. Repping the vegan hippie meatheads of the world is Sam, the first ever vegan World Naturals Bikini Pro, coach, author, and blogger, who's got an ass that's out of this world. Repping the busy, tired moms of the world is Sarah, and her ass is, well, mediocre. Together, they're on a mission to live with purpose and unlock the mysteries of a healthy mind, body, and spirit. So grab a seat in the back of Sarah's minivan and enjoy the
1: ride. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the 24th episode of the Jacked on the Beanstalk podcast. I, of course, am your lovely host, Sam Shorky. And guys, today, for the first time ever, I am recording solo, and honestly, I feel really alone right now, I'm gonna admit it, without my smartass little big sister Sarah, who we've all grown to love and enjoy as my sidekick host, but... Our beloved Shorky sister is actually sick, and she's been sick all week. She's got kids, guys, and we all know what germy little carriers those things are. And I guess this just proves how much stronger my immune system is, because let it be known that I never get sick. And I suppose the beauty of not having Sarah here today is that I can insult her all I want and she can't even do anything about it. Just kidding. I wouldn't do that. You guys know I love Sarah with all my heart. This whole episode is just me and I gotta admit that I really do miss hearing her sarcastic, witty commentary. And I'm sure you guys will as well. But, nevertheless, I am still really excited for this week's episode. You know what? It's probably a good thing that Sarah's smart-ass comments are not on this episode because this is actually a bit more serious um, because it's an issue that we vegans definitely don't take too lightly. We have an interview with the girls from Animal Justice... Animal Justice is a group of lawyers here in Canada, and they are leading the legal fight for animal protection all across our country. I don't know if you actually know this, but Animals actually have no rights. And these amazing, hardworking, dedicated, and passionate lawyers and the staff at Animal Justice are quite literally speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so, of course, I had to get them on the podcast, especially because the executive director, Camille, and their communications manager, Shannon, live right here in Ottawa with me and Sarah. And I was actually lucky enough to meet these ladies uh, just this past summer at the March to Shut Down Slaughterhouses. Camille and I were both asked to speak at the march and uh, we even got to carry the main banner at the very front of the march which was such an honor I have to say. And our beloved producer, Aaron, of the podcast here was also at the march. So before I get into the interview, here is a clip from my speech that happened right before we marched. And I'm not going to lie, guys, I totally felt like William Wallace from Braveheart, like getting my troops riled up before we go into battle, you know, They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! So here it is. Enjoy.
0: For the billions of chickens raised in filthy cages, and the billions of pigs raised in tiny crates.
1: For their screams that go unheard, and their cries that go unanswered, today our voices will be heard loud and clear. (laughs) It got it. Did that fire you guys up or what? And yes, Camille, of course, from Animal Justice. She spoke after we did the big march. I truly have so much respect for Camille and then also Shannon, who you will hear very shortly from. Um, but first, I did want to share a fun fact about me that perhaps many of you guys uh, do not know. So a lot of people often assume that I am vegan for health reasons because I'm a bodybuilder and a coach, but I'm actually hands down, without a doubt, an ethical vegan through and through, and I've always just said that the health benefits are a bonus. But unfortunately, I don't get to do as many protests or outreach events because... Well, you know, maybe this is a bit of an excuse, but my online coaching business, plus my in-person coaching and running my blog and this podcast, it honestly, guys, leaves me with such a sad social life as is. And in fact, it is Saturday night at 830 and I'm recording this podcast. Uh, But I really do try to participate in activism events at least a couple times a year. And I really do encourage every one of you vegans listening to participate in some kind of activism or outreach um, at least once or twice a year if you can because more than anything it's just really cool to feel connected to other like-minded people and it's a very powerful uplifting feeling you would think that it might be a bit depressing or or uncomfortable but it's really actually not. I wanted to share that the first time I ever did any kind of protest for animals, I was probably about 13, 14, maybe 15, and it was deer hunting season out where my parents live. I had made all these picket signs that said things like, "'Hunting is murder,' and, "'The only thing a deer should be shot with is a camera.'" And I had asked my mom if I could stay home from school so that I could set up camp at this busy four-way intersection all morning and afternoon when hunting uh, would be in full effect. And bless my mom's heart, I remember she made me a thermos of hot chocolate and dropped me off at the intersection. One of my little friends from school met me there too. We put on these Christmas reindeer antlers, you know, those like headbands with the the red and green antlers and we marched our little hearts out all day And of course it made many hunters laugh uh, But nevertheless, I always think back to that day and what a passionate little bastard I was I will let you guys know that I may or may not have also made a sign that said hunters have small dicks But my mom would not let me bring it But you can bet your ass that I still chanted that all day long and thought I was hilarious. But anyway, I also wanted to tell you guys about a cool company called NaturalVeganProducts.com. And they are literally the greenest health and wellness company in the world because get this... First of all, they use 100% biodegradable packaging and they operate a solar powered farm. And these guys are even creating Canada's largest animal sanctuary. And I know us vegans, we really like to support other vegan companies. And I swear these guys are not paying me to promote it. I just thought that it was such a cool company that I wanted to let you guys know about too. They are all about selling the most natural, handmade products possible, using no chemicals, totally cruelty-free. And they are offering my podcast listeners a box of goodies that includes things like shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, body lotion, lip balm, soap. It's all for $24.99 Canadian, which is only like for sure less than like 18 bucks US. So if you guys are into that, you can definitely check them out at uh, naturalveganproducts.com. And they also have a subscription service where you can have their products shipped fresh to your door every month. And if you sign up for the subscription service and mention that you heard about them through the Jacked on the Beanstalk podcast or from me, Sam Shorkey, you will get 50% off your first custom box. And again, that's naturalveganproducts.com so you guys can check it out. All right, enough. Let us get on to the interview. We are here with my name is Shannon Riley Milling and Camille Labchuck and we are on the air live right now these are the lovely ladies and super babes from animal justice at chuo radio here in ottawa ontario thankfully the babes from animal justice are locals and they were able to meet us in the studio today so let's get started so first off what exactly is animal justice We are the
2: country's only animal law advocacy organization. So we're a nonprofit. We also have a charitable affiliate. And we focus on using the law to protect animals. Now, that could be anything from pushing for stronger legislation, uh, making sure that the laws that we do have on the books are actually enforced to protect animals, and also going to court and fighting it out on behalf of animals in the courtrooms across the country.
1: Cool. And you've been doing
2: this for a while, right, Camille? I have been now. I finished law school uh, five years ago. I actually just had my five-year law reunion. I went to law school in the first place because I knew I wanted to be an animal rights lawyer. For the last two years, I've been running Animal Justice, and it's been exciting because we're expanding pretty quickly. We started off as primarily a volunteer-based team, and we're now growing rapidly and Shannon joined the
0: team just about six months ago so we're growing and doing more for animals every year. I'm the communications and development manager so I run the social media um, emails, I do graphic design as well and I'm going to be doing work for our upcoming podcast that we're making and the web store that we're launching this month.
1: These ladies are actually creating a podcast as Shannon mentioned which is set to launch in January so everybody will have to follow that and I believe it'll just be called Animal Justice Podcast
2: or what? Actually, we have a pretty stellar name. It's going to be the Paw and Order Podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is pure gold. Yeah, I'm really it. excited. We put a
2: call out on Twitter and said, hey guys, we're starting a podcast. Any name suggestions? And when this one
1: came in, we just all said, bam, that's it. It's amazing. So that thank you so to awesome. the guy on Twitter totally. who came up with it. Uh, what exactly got you onto this career path? Beyond that, what originally sparked your love for for animals and uh, ending all animal cruelty? Well, for me, I grew up in PEI, so on the East Coast, and
2: near me was the commercial seal slaughter every year. And I saw images on TV when I was a young kid, and I just remember thinking, why would anyone do that to baby seals? They're clubbing them to death. Uh, And I would always had cats and rabbits and hamsters, and I loved animals. And, you know, I went vegetarian when I was about 12, Many years later, I had been working for the Green Party federally. I worked for Elizabeth May. And I was vegetarian. I was vegan. I was I was really into animals. But I didn't know what I wanted to do next in my life. I knew I wanted to go back to school. And working with her, I saw that as an environmental lawyer, which was her background, she used her law degree every single day as an activist. And I thought, huh, that's an interesting tool. And around the same time, uh, my life kind of came full circle when I actually went to the commercial seal hunt for the first time with Humane Society International Canada. And I was out there observing and documenting and assisting with the campaign. And I saw firsthand that there were a lot of people, actually, who made animal activism into a full-time career. And I realized, well, I can do that, too. So how am I going to do that? Well, why don't I get a law degree and become an animal rights lawyer? So I did, I went back to school. I went to law school at the University of Toronto. It was a small field when I started. I I wasn't sure if things were going to work out if I'd have a job, but it's it's just onwards and upwards every year.
1: How many animal rights lawyers are there in
2: Canada? Well, there's a lot of people right now, students and practitioners, who are very keen on the issues. I would say that people who actually work full or mostly full-time in the field, there's about eight to ten. So it's still pretty small, but a decade ago, I don't think there were any, so... It's uh, grown a lot in just 10 years, and I think the next 10 years are gonna be even bigger.
1: Shannon, you've only been with Animal Justice for six months. Did you guys kind of meet at an animal rights protest, or how did this? Um, Yeah, so every year I have
0: a protest for Anti-Fur Week. It was an anti-fur fashion show uh, last February around Valentine's Day, Um, and it was right by Lansdowne Park where the big Canada goose sign is. We had people wearing fur coats walking down a runway with signs. And when I found out Camila was going to be there, I was really excited because I was a really big fan of mm-hmm. her work in animal justice. And then it was just through talking to her that I found out they needed a communications person. That's kind of how we met just last February. I think it was uh, Destiny. Cool.
2: Yeah, I'm glad I went to that protest. Give us a bit about your background maybe.
0: Um, I went meat-free in 2011 and vegan in 2012 while I was getting my journalism degree at Carleton University. After I started changing my lifestyle, I wanted to do more, so I started to look to the activist community in Ottawa, and for the past five years, every fall I pass out leaflets on campus, and then I started to become a pretty prominent organizer in the Ottawa Animal Defense League. After I did that for a while, I kind of thought about other ways that I could evolve my activism, I started a YouTube channel that I had for a year where I wrote original music for animals. Uh, I talked about different issues, and that was really cool, but kind of came to a point where I thought maybe only vegans were watching my stuff and I wanted to do more. That's kind of where the clothing line came in. Um, Every shirt is designed for animal advocacy, but in a really friendly way. So I thought you know, if if vegans are looking at this stuff, maybe they'll buy the shirts and walk around and and spark really friendly conversations. That's why I did it. And I think it's been pretty awesome so far. And I'm really excited to be launching some new products on Black Friday. And what is the website for it if people wanted to check out your stuff? Um, So it's faunapparel.com. That's F-A-U-N-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. We're also Fauna Apparel on uh, Facebook and Instagram. You can follow us there. And my Instagram's Fauna so so all kind of ties in together. Okay, cool.
1: Awesome. Um, yeah, so, okay, I've always said that there is a time and a place for all forms of animal activism. And of course, uh, being a vegan bodybuilder and coach, my activism is a little bit different from yours and a lot of other vegans. But what's cool is that we all obviously have the same ultimate goal, and that is to end all animal cruelty and suffering. But I'd love to know about the activism that you guys do. And uh, more specifically, how has it made an impact on both a local and global level?
2: Well, the interesting stuff about the work that Animal Justice does is it's it's legal in nature, which I think is a different field for most of the other forms of activism. The way I like to describe it to people is that laws and what we accept under the law follows society society doesn't follow law so you can't just impose a law and then expect everybody to abide by it like maybe i could get elected and pass a law saying that everybody should go vegan tomorrow but that would not work obviously because people are not ready <laughs> it would be fun but it's uh, it's not feasible so what we do is enshrine existing societal attitudes into law and take on cases and issues that people are ready for at the right time. Now, one example of that, I think, is there's a really exciting bill going through the Senate right now. It's called Bill S203. And it would ban anyone in this country from keeping a whale or a dolphin in a tiny tank. So aquariums would no longer be able to do this and profit from confining these beautiful, just intelligent, amazing, sentient animals in these little bathtubs. Mm-hmm. Now, there's only two places left in the country that still do this. There's Marineland
1: in Niagara Falls and the Vancouver Aquarium. I've been in there a few times and, and so often I would hear the people working there saying, oh no, we take in all of these, you know, uh, rescued sea life, you know, and, and we do such good things here. But I always thought, no, this is not right. These whales and these dolphins should not be enclosed in, in this kind of space. That's exactly it. People are
2: looking at the situation and they're saying, that's just not okay anymore. We used to think that was fun and that was cool to go see orcas or belugas and tanks. But now, Society's changed, we've changed along with it. Uh, What we've seen in the last few years is blackfish. Mm -hmm. We saw the cove come out. We've seen all of these incredible documentaries that teach people what these animals' lives are like in the wild, and how absolutely impoverished they are when, when they're forced to live in tanks. In the wild, of course, they swim vast distances. They dive really deeply. They live in extremely complex social groupings and hunt together. They have cooperative hunting strategies. They're very, very social animals, and they rely heavily on their friends and families I read a piece in the newspaper last week about a beluga whale who was actually learning to speak dolphin because this beluga was confined with a bunch of dolphins and no other belugas. And that to me spoke of how desperate that need to communicate and socialize is that this beluga would start learning to produce dolphin sounds just to communicate. We know so little about their lives to date, but what we do know really speaks clearly that they don't (laughs) deserve to be in tanks. So the cool thing is people are recognizing that this bill in the Senate, I think, is a great opportunity to take that societal attitude and enshrine it into law. And so what's happened with that bill? Oh, there was a huge victory a couple of weeks ago. The bill made it out of the Senate committee that was studying it. And that was really important because a lot of senators, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but a few senators were trying to kill that bill. They're very close to marine land in the aquarium and they were trying as hard as they could to kill that bill and make sure that it didn't get out of the committee. So it did by a vote of nine to five. And I think that bodes really well for what's next.
1: So pretty soon it'll go to a vote of the entire Senate. And globally, like I know uh, SeaWorld, there's a ton of of people upset about that happening there too. But would you say Canada's kind of moved more forward on this particular issue than the States? Yeah, we actually have a huge opportunity
2: to be a global leader in this right now. Unfortunately, Canada, as a general statement, has some of the worst animal protection laws in the world. But on this issue, we actually could be a leader. The uh, Vancouver City Council, the the park board out there rather, already banned the aquarium out there from keeping cetaceans and they're appealing it. So we'll see where it goes. But if we had a national ban on the practice, we would join only a handful of countries that have actually made this progressive step. So I'm really hopeful that it will pass, and I know there's a lot of momentum and support from Canadians.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was really cool to be a speaker at the March to Shut Down Slaughterhouses alongside with you, Camille. And that's how actually I met these ladies. Um, And Camille was speaking as well as um, Anita Crines, who's an activist uh, with the group Toronto Pig Save. And everybody listening might be familiar with the story of Anita, where she was charged for giving water to pigs in a truck that was uh, headed to slaughter in Burlington, Ontario. And what was so cool about that day in particular was it was this big, well-organized event that truly showed the power of strength in numbers. And uh, we had all the vegans from Montreal come and join us Ottawa vegans. I think there was like 300 of us total. And it was just such a powerful, awesome event. And as far as I'm concerned, that is the best possible form of activism for not only getting the word out to the masses, but for all of us local vegans to know that we're not alone and that we march together with so many like minded, compassionate other people. And I would love to participate in this event every. Here because it did really evoke a lot of cool positive feelings within me and of course spread the good word to everybody else in the city and Shannon you put together such a cool video that mm-hmm. day thank you and I've showed that video to a bunch of people and I would love to hear both of your thoughts and feelings on that day that day was awesome.
0: It was Ottawa's first march to close all slaughterhouses. Um, I had been to the Montreal one for the two years before that, each year. The energy in that in that march is just so powerful. So when I found out it was coming to Ottawa and they were bringing Montreal activists to join us, I was like, this is so exciting. I bought a steady cam, which allowed me to take really smooth shots for that day. You know, everyone's going to be moving really fast, like, so I, I got some new equipment for it. Yeah, it was just awesome to be there. Such good energy, and it's really important for people in Ottawa to see people actually I will definitely
1: include a link to that video in the show notes for this week's episode. Camille, did you have any thoughts on how that day went for you? Well, it was incredibly inspiring. There were
2: hundreds of people marching in the streets and saying, look, listen up, everyone. We need to do better for animals. We need to close slaughterhouses. I have to confess that when the march to close all slaughterhouses first became a thing, like maybe four or five years ago, I thought, oh, I don't know if that's a great form of activism. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, I thought, well, no one's going to you know, want to try to close all slaughterhouses. That's sort of an unrealistic request at this point. But I eat my words now because what it's become is a really inspiring event for- Worldwide, too, worldwide. worldwide, yeah. It's happening around the world. There's thousands of people marching in the streets on the same day or the same month. And I think it's become a, a, just a really powerful show of force. And it's important for those of us who care about animals and want to see change to band together and actually be visible. It's not enough just to sit quietly in the background. And this is a great way for anyone to go out and show
1: their support. Well, and I think that what was so awesome about that day was that it was all kinds of vegans. And I think that they're There tends to be this stereotype of the animal activist as this unemployed, kind of, you know, nothing better to do, crass and crude in your face kind of person. And I'll be honest in that. I do actually know some vegans who do kind of portray this this role. And so, Camille, um, how you turned your passion into a career that has allowed you to focus your time on something important and meaningful, but be in a position where people are kind of forced to take you seriously, because instead of being this random person with a picket sign, you're actually a lawyer.
2: I think it's really important for our existing political institutions to see animals as an important, legitimate interest. And that's one reason I went and got a law degree and, and do this work today is I think that politicians need to see that this is an issue that people care about and there are legitimate professionals out there advocating on this. I think the legal profession needs to start thinking of animals as an entities entities that should have legal protections and are deserving of consideration under the law. You know, what I love right now about the field of animal law is you've got huge growth in law schools. You've got law students with clubs in their various schools and they're holding animal law events and they're sensitizing their fellow students. They're showing people, like, look, here's the issue, here's the disconnect, here's why the law is not doing a good enough job for animals right now. And maybe the students who are in those clubs uh, will go on to be top litigators, they'll go on to be judges, they'll go on to be politicians themselves. But even if they don't, the other students in school will be. So you're sensitizing an entire profession, an entire field, and you're really making these issues relevant. So you know what I find interesting is um, how much more accepted the field has become just in the last 10 years or so. People probably didn't know about it a decade ago. And now when you say, oh, I'm an animal rights lawyer, they say, oh, yeah, I heard about the pig trial, the, the Anita trial, or I heard about this other case or this bill before parliament. So these issues are becoming mainstream and they are becoming respected.
1: What are some of your thoughts on the activism tactics that do exist that some people would consider intimidating? A lot of activists who will cover their faces with bandanas and it can definitely be a little aggressive and um I think a lot of times, maybe these activists will almost take on like a gang style mentality. I have witnessed this for myself. I mean, what are your thoughts on that form of activism? I'm always loath to criticize
2: anybody for their activism because a variety of different tactics work in a variety of different ways. And I don't know that we even know enough about social change to say, this is the most effective thing you can do, or this is the least effective thing you can do. So that's kind of a caveat through which you can take take my, my next words, but personally, my my preferred type of activism is more positive. I like being a positive example of what vegans can look like, a positive example of how you can live your life in a way that doesn't harm animals and and be happier doing so. I think it's important to show people that when your actions align with your values, that you can be a really fulfilled and happy person. And our values already, like most of us were taught as children to be kind to animals, to be humane, follow the golden rule, don't cause others suffering that you wouldn't want to experience for yourself. What that really means is everyone should go vegan because when you're uh, consuming animal products, you are contributing to that suffering. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I like to remind people that if we want our actions to align with our values, we should we should really look at what we're actually doing and think about
0: making a change. And uh, something just to add to that about. You know, different forms of activism. One thing that really changed the way I thought about activism is uh, the work by Dr. Melanie Joy, who is a psychologist who studied the culture of meat eating and meat eaters and what really works. Yeah, it's like Camille mentioned, it's kind of hard to measure all forms of activism and what's the most effective, but I noticed works the best for me is just coming down to people's level. Before I was vegan, I was. You know, I was eating meat and animal products and wearing makeup tests on animals just like a lot of other people. So, I mean, we all really start from the same root. I mean, I'm still the same person I always have been, but I just made different choices. So, when you just kind of come down to someone's level and make that apparent that we're all kind of the same and that it's just a difference of learning and I think it's just easier to talk to people that way and people will be more comfortable to ask questions and maybe follow up and
1: want to begin their path that way too. You know I know vegans who they've made the switch in terms of diet but they're still wearing leather or they're still wearing makeup that's tested on animals and a lot of vegans and even myself included, you know, I want to say it to them and I will gently say to them, you know, well, you're still contributing, but then we have to remember that, you know, we all started somewhere and, you know, I was a vegetarian for 20 years before I fully learned about what's going on in the dairy industry you know and making the full switch to vegan so I think it is important for us to to not be super judgy and let everybody you know kind of go at their own pace and and whatever that form of activism is for them even if it is just starting with not eating meat that's a great place to start and and one form of activism that I actually love is the circle of truth and I don't know if they do it in ottawa but I know in in other big cities in, in the world they will like pay people people a dollar to watch you know five minutes of earthlings or whatever it is and I think that is such a powerful way right where it's you know hey we're not pushing anything in your face we're just saying we're gonna give you a buck to come and watch you know short clip of of something incredibly traumatizing and what about you guys what do you think of that style
2: I think cubes of truth are so powerful because you're saying to people essentially it's not really do this or do that it's that if you're doing these things you should know what happens you should know what happens inside a slaughterhouse or on an industrial fishing trawler or another place where animals are abused, people should really just understand where their food is coming from. And oftentimes people have tremendous reactions when they do see that and commit to going vegan or start along a journey
0: to making personal change. Also, my friend Shauna uh, Harrison runs um, an Earthlings demo every week, which is a very similar thing to the Cube of Truth, where they have the masks and they're showing Earthlings. So every week there's something like that happening in Ottawa. And I actually joined them recently to do some positive chalking on the ground beside them mm-hmm. and pass out leaflets. And, you know, they have the they have the video showing. Um, and they just have a lot of different people there. Like, I think it's important not to just have people with masks, but have people that are talking to people, engaging and stuff like that. And I saw lots of people stop. And ask questions. There's definitely something like that happening here, and I do think it's really effective.
1: Camille, a big part of what you do as an animal rights lawyer, um, you also deal with the free speech rights for animal activists. Can you talk about that and and what some of those rights are?
2: Animals actually don't have any rights. It's funny that I call myself an animal rights lawyer. It's a bit of a misnomer because they don't have rights of their own. They have protections, but they're not enforceable by those animals because animals don't have standing to go to court and stand up for their rights. So all that to say is when you're when you're trying to protect a group of individuals, animals, who don't have rights of their own sometimes it's really important to rely on human rights and the rights of advocates who are standing up for animals and speaking on their behalves. So one thing I always try to do is make sure that companies, that the state aren't interfering with the rights of people who want to speak up on behalf of animals. I'll give you an example of a case that we're involved in right now. The decision's actually coming out very soon. So the Vancouver Aquarium was the subject of a documentary film about a year and a half ago called Vancouver Aquarium Uncovered. And the the film exposes them for a lot of statements they've made, and it, the image they tried to present themselves is really conservation and education-oriented. <laughs> and the filmmaker talks about how little of their budget they actually spend on, on conservation compared to just captivity. Right. And he deals with all the ways that animals suffer in captivity. So n- bottom line is it's not a very flattering film for the aquarium. They you- So they, they let the film sit for a long time. It was on Vimeo. It was on YouTube. Then they decided to sue the filmmaker, and it turns out they were suing him mostly to try to get the film taken off of Vimeo and YouTube, because they'd filed requests with those two platforms to get it taken down, and they said, well, no, we're not going to take it down unless you have an active lawsuit open, then we'll consider it. So, bam, next day, lawsuit's filed. So they're saying that the filmmaker, Gary Charbonneau, just this tremendous activist, violated copyright principles by producing the film because he included images from their website. He included footage that he'd shot at the aquarium and some other issues like that. So they actually got a temporary injunction against him. They had sought to take the entire film off the Internet, but the judge did order that a bunch of segments of that film be removed so that injunction was appealed by his his lawyers, and we intervened on the appeal uh, as animal justice. And the point that we wanted to make in that case is that if you let Corporations like the Vancouver Aquarium companies, big business that abuses animals. If you let them shut down the free speech and documentary films by activists on copyright grounds, then what you're doing essentially is silencing whistleblowers. You can have very serious negative effects on people who want to come forward and bring, say, video that they've shot or images they've taken inside an animal use facility. So we don't want this type of case to expand into something that's going to shut down the free speech rights of Activists to expose and publicize animal cruelty. Are cases
1: always brought to you or in your work, you're actively seeking out cases to take on?
2: Yeah, a bit of both. We get emails and phone calls a lot from people who say, oh, I've got this issue, can you help? And we always do try to help if we can. And other times cases are in the news and we see the case, we read the, the filings and say, oh gosh, this is crying out for our participation. What we try to bring to the table is this perspective of the animals. We try to insert that into court cases where it's not already there and make sure that judges understand that the decision they're making doesn't just affect the rights of two parties who are involved in this litigation. It can also affect the interests of billions of animals. Mm-hmm. So we do try to make sure that's present in the case.
1: And what about like nudity forms of activism? These protests where there'll be naked women, you know, in a package a pretend package of meat covered in blood. In <laughs> <laughs> Shannon? In my early activism days, I was
0: trying to do as much as I could and, and learning as much as I could. I saw a PETA demo in Ottawa and I saw how much press it got. And when I was organizing for the Ottawa Animal Defense League, I was always trying to get media out and barely anyone would ever come out, even if it was a really big day of protests. There was a lot of theatrical elements to it. It was just really hard. I understand why why PETA does that. And I did go on a few tours with them um, doing stuff against Canada Goose. And they were really fun. But I think part of my activism has evolved from that. So definitely at the time I was really into it, but now I'm not going to do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But I know why they do that, and it's to get the media out. The shock value is, is usually
2: what the goal is with that sort of thing. I think they've really cracked the formula they know what the media is going to have to cover and sex is one of those things mm. nudity is one of those things Totally. so they've been tremendously successful in just getting press and there was a really mm. this demo recently in Ottawa it was just a few months ago Shannon maybe you can remember the details or maybe I you can I Sam saw, yeah. I think it was one the of those cellophane wrapped packages, packages. Mm. people yep. were just you know so oh, oh yeah, so- yeah it was the like
0: rib fest maybe it was like the third rib fest of the summer yeah, I was say, <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs>
2: anyway it went all over Facebook mm-hmm. and people who are not normally exposed to these issues we're talking about
0: them and thinking about them so you can get really good reach sometimes yes. first one I ever did was at uh, Rivest in Ottawa a series of years ago and that was the first time I had ever did anything like that and you got it, naked almost <laughs> <But> I had <laughs> I had butcher marks on me and it was I don't know I felt really powerful in that moment because so many people were stopping and being like oh my god like and asking questions and stuff like that but the media afterwards was mind blowing. It, it actually it went international. Um, it was yeah, and it was in the New York Daily. It went as far as like Spanish Yahoo and like I think some Japanese like news station did something. Like I don't know if I Google it, how widespread it was was um, phenomenal. So that's like that was the first time I did it, and I saw how powerful it was, and that's why I continued to do it for a bit. But
1: yeah it can it can be totally powerful well i'm a total exhibitionist so maybe i'll do it (laughs) you'd be perfect Yeah, (laughs) yeah all right let me know guys since you guys work to change minds every day in you know such a powerful capacity what advice would you give to those super preachy vegans out there? I call them supremacist vegans. <laughs> well,
2: again, I'm always hesitant to tell other people how to do their activism because I, again,
1: <laughs> yeah, don't know that we keep <laughs> bringing this up know but.
2: enough to <laughs> tell people what the best way is. I think positivity really is key. And also... This is a controversial thing to say, and I'm sure some vegans won't like to hear this, but I don't always think it's an all-or-nothing approach either. You don't have to be the you know the biggest activist out there doing everything all the time. You can do activism in your own small ways. You can, you know, behind the scenes influence your friends or family. You can post things happily on Facebook. You can be a positive example. You can start an Instagram account if you're really into fitness and you lift heavy and you're ripped. Start an Instagram account and show how great how, how uh, ripped you can get on a vegan diet. Like, There's just so many ways to be an activist depending on what your interests are, but I, I don't think that you should tell people that it's always an all or nothing proposition because
0: that uh, can sometimes turn people away from it rather than draw them in. And I definitely think everyone should check out Dr. Melanie Joy. Before I watched and learned about her work, I was like, maybe a little bit more, like, angry inside. Um, Not that I really projected that, but, you know, there was definitely, like, it's kind of hard to describe, more like a, I I felt heavier inside. And then I watched, literally an hour after watching some of her stuff, I felt like I just had some answers I've never had before, and I felt so much lighter and happier. So my activism and understanding of the world really evolved after that. And I definitely think everyone should check her out. And another way um, of just doing activism in your daily life is something I'm gonna be starting. Um, I have anti-fur leaflets in my parka, which is from old woolly outerwear. So it's completely cruelty-free, made in Toronto. And- um, I have one of their coats.
1: Oh, sweet. Me too. They're so awesome. (laughs) I love them. They're amazing. I know we got a lot of uh, Americans listening to the podcast, but for uh, anyone in the cold states or cities here in Canada, if you need something that is like insanely warm and it's it was basically created to be the vegan equivalent of a Canada goose down. We just got ours the other week. Did you yeah. guys get the bomber or the longer one? I um, got the longer I one. I got the longer one. Yeah, um, I like to show off my ass so I got the bomber. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> it's a good form of activism, right? <laughs> yeah, and we'll definitely include a, a link to the show notes um to Dr. Melanie Joy. Okay. Cool.
2: 100%. Yeah, one cool thing about what she does is she has a theory about this invisible belief system that people who eat meat participate in. They don't realize that they're part of what she calls carnism, but it's like a religion. People feel that eating meat is normal and it's natural and necessary, and this is just sort of the world order is that we use animals in this way. And I think acknowledging that people... It's
1: really difficult to break out of that carnism system. And and the farming and food industries have done a really good job of keeping us in that bubble and ostriches with our heads
2: in the sand too, right? Totally. They profit so enormously from us all keeping our heads in the sand. So Mm -hmm. because it's so difficult for people to break out of that and see the world for what it really is, I mean, we have our eyes open and we see what happens to animals and don't want to participate. But like Shannon said, understanding Melanie Joy's work has given me more compassion for people who are not
1: there yet and who need to be helped along their way because we all were at one point too. Shannon, you mentioned something that I wanted um, to go back to. You were saying that uh, in the beginning, you were doing so much activism that it kind of started to get you down. And and I know many vegans uh, back in Vancouver where we kind of refer to this as activist burnout, where you kind of let your passion for saving animals consume you to the point that you like kind of become angry at the world and, and almost like suffer from depression. So as somebody who has made a career out of activism, how do you guys avoid letting it consume every aspect of your life or bring you down and like do you have any kind of self-care tips and and habits that you could share? I think it's important to have a life outside of
2: activism Um, and this is something I actually have to work on personally I'll I'll admit it Uh, previously before I was working full time in in animal rights, activism was my hobby and it was different. And now that it's my job and it's my hobby, I know I need to become more balanced. (laughs) (laughs) So I try to do things like read, uh, go to the gym, socialize with friends. And you'll read books that are not related to animals? I try. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went through a phase for years where I didn't read fiction at all and now I'm back into it and I think it's actually super good for
1: everyone, for your brain. For sure. And actually I've heard studies that say it has a lot of health benefits, like and for your mental state. To read a fiction book. All right. What about you, Shannon? Yeah, music's really, really great for that. Um, and I really love
0: working on my side project, Fawn Pearl. Um, even though it's still completely animal-based, it's just so <laughs> it's just it's really positive, and I have a lot of fun, um, you know, designing stuff and and learning more about marketing and, and stuff like that. Everyone in my life that's really close to me um, is vegan. So I mean except for my parents. But like my, be- <laughs> my best friends who I surround myself are like that, so it's always just so comfortable to, to hang out with people. I don't go on Facebook too much after work. Even this morning, oh my god, I was watching um, this massive Canada Goose demo outside their UK flagship store that just opened. There was like hundreds of people there. I was super hardcore. I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. Like I was so into it. I watched all these live videos. I also recently learned that um, there's 12 to 15 animals in every animal-based parka. And most uh, of that is down and it's horrible. Yeah, to really put it into perspective. So I was 12 to 15. Yeah, it's 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 insane. So I was watching all these videos for the Canada Goose demo. I had just learned this statistic this week. And then I scrolled down to the next video, and it was somebody who just rescued three geese from becoming someone's dinner. Uh. And there was like three of them in the back of the car, and I was like, These geese are so beautiful. Oh my god. I'm so happy someone saved them. And I was like, these are so special, these three geese. And I was like, They're a fraction
1: of a jacket that was just saved, and
0: I just kind of like Had a moment.
1: The worst part is that people in Canada, I mean, um, here in Ontario. Everybody owns a Canada Goose Down jacket and you cannot even walk down the street in wintertime here without seeing about five people wearing one. Even for me, um, I can't shut my mouth over this. Like this is one particular topic that just drives me nuts. And at the gym that I train clients at, every time someone would come in, I would always say, you know, that's a coyote on the hood of that, right? And, And you know, they're pretty much a dog. And it's amazing how many people don't even know that it is coyote fur. Good for you for it. saying something. Yeah, oh, totally. that,
2: that's amazing. And I think it's so important that we all speak up when we see
1: fur because you know what's happened
2: This wasn't really clear to me until this past winter when activists, especially in Toronto and New York, were out there every day on the street posting videos on Facebook, approaching people wearing fur trim and saying, here's what happened to the coyote around your neck. And like you said, a lot of people were like, what do you mean? That's that's fur. I thought I was wearing faux fur. People do not understand the difference. And that's what's been so insidious about the rise of fur trim no one sees full fur jackets anymore because that's not socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. And the fur industry was smart enough to know that and smart enough to start using mm-hmm. fur trim that everybody assumes is faux. So what we have to do is break down that for people, tell them that they're actually wearing real fur,
0: and then I think we're going to see the death of fur trim. Totally. And the fur on the Canada Goose jacket is the back of one coyote. That's One all- coyote per jacket. Yep.
1: Maybe 14 geese on the inside. <sighs> God, that is so, so depressing. Mm-hmm. Tell us, how can people get involved in helping with the work that you guys do?
2: Well, visit animaljustice.ca, send us an email, sign up to be on our mailing list. That's where you'll hear about events that are going on in your region, about campaigns.
1: We and have, you do cover a lot of stuff globally, not just uh, kind of local to Ontario or even Canada? No, we're actually just focused on Canada. Okay. Uh, f- yeah, we, we try to keep it
2: Canadian. As a lawyer, I only really understand anything about Canadian law and not so much right, other countries. Right. So, But still follow them, eh? <laughs> Check out our social media. Instagram's AnimalJustice underscore. Uh, Facebook is Animal Justice Canada. Twitter's AnimalJustice. You can follow along with all our campaigns
0: there. And we do post information about things that are happening around the world. So you'll still cool. get news from your place. Check out our web store. We're going to be launching it really soon. We don't have a set date yet, but it'll be this month. So follow us on social media and get ready for the launch. And then oh, the launch of our- people be buy on the web store. There's going to be a bunch of different styles of shirts and really comfortable hoodies and toques and tote bags. Toques, eh?
2: Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so good it. for this time of year. <laughs> so you Such can get a Canadian your podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the Americans yeah. out there, that's like a winter hat. What do it's they call them? A like beanie. a beanie? <laughs> beanie. <laughs> yeah. So you can do all your Christmas shopping there and
1: support us at the same time. Oh, awesome. Yeah, for sure. We'll include a link to all that. And I also wanted to ask, what if uh, people wanted to do a lot of like activism, the undercover work Do you guys ever have any connections for that or do you organize that? People who
2: are interested in that, and I think it's a really important area, just exposing hidden animal abuse is is crucial. I would urge people to contact um, us or other organizations to learn more about that.
1: Yeah, and speaking of the web store and Shannon's company, which is Fawn Apparel, I love that you guys make shirts and, and Shannon's wearing a really cute one right now that says all animals deserve love. I always say that repping my vegan shirts and other you know vegan bodybuilding type shirts at the gym is a great form of activism in itself because benching heavier than most dudes it's uh, pretty awesome to have people be like whoa you're vegan you don't look vegan do you guys wear a lot of vegan clothes all the time
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. our, we work in a, it's called the Impact Hub in Ottawa. It's a shared co oping kind of working space. So we're always wearing animal friendly apparel. Um, yeah, it's
2: a great conversation starter. I used to lift really heavy too and be super ripped and be like the strongest girl at the gym. So I used to wear vegan stuff at the gym like exclusively. And then I kind of fell off the wagon and started actually working as a lawyer, finished law school <laughs> and didn't have time. So now I'm back at the gym, but I'm sort of like embarrassed to wear the vegan things because I'm not sure I can rep it. Trust me, guys.
1: They are both in awesome shape, so I don't know what she's talking about. To close on kind of a good note here, um, I keep hearing, I'm sure you guys keep hearing, that 2018 is set to be the year of the vegan. Woo! And statistics even keep revealing that veganism is only on the rise, and plant-based food companies also seeing more and more sales, which is super awesome. So in terms of justice for animals, what is the one thing that is just a constant constant problem that never seems to show any progress on? Oh, only one thing. Oh, well, (laughs) as
2: many as you want. Oh, no, unfortunately, there's a lot of things where society just hasn't moved yet. One pretty crushing moment was about a year ago, Parliament voted down an animal cruelty bill that would have done some fairly minor tweaks to the criminal code, animal cruelty provisions, but it would have improved that legislation and brought it. Down from like the worst legislation in the Western world up to like a reasonable level. And that didn't pass because hunting, fishing, farming interests mobilized against it, and they still have an enormous amount of power, and they managed to convince enough members of parliament not to support that really important legislation. So what I would say overall is that industries still have a lot of influence, and the way that we can combat that is by individuals, by activists, by regular people who just want fairness for animals coming forward. And being a political voice, not just sitting there silently and and sometimes, you know, liking things on Facebook, but actually meeting with their MPs, Mm. um, going out during elections and volunteering for a good candidate, actually being there and being visible and showing MPs and
1: politicians that this issue could be a vote getter because that's what they care about. It makes me think about all of these health vegans versus ethical vegans. And of course, in my line of work, I deal with a lot of these people that are like, oh, I don't really care about the animals. I'm just doing it because I hope to lose weight. And my whole thing is, well, any reason for for going vegan is better than, you know, eating animals. But do you kind of agree with me? Any reason is better than not. And and I think what I noticed, too, is a lot of people start as a vegan for health reasons. And then the more they learn and the more they get into it, they tend to uh, become more of an ethical vegan.
2: Totally. I love when people go vegan for health reasons because it's a great thing to do for your health and it's really empowering. And I think once people are no longer eating animals and animal products, the cognitive barrier to recognizing that animals are sentient individuals is broken down. So it's much easier to reach somebody once they're no longer eating animals, even if it's just for health reasons. So I think it's great. Oh, did you hear about the Kitchener-Waterloo Activist group. No. They put up ads all over town last Halloween, saying "scariest movie ever" playing tonight. Oh at, my bah, god! At this location, That's all awesome. these people showed up, and they put on Earthlings, and
1: everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Going <laughs> oh back god. It
2: immediately. That's
1: awesome. That is such a good idea. I love that. Are there any Canadian animal laws? They could be good or bad that exist, uh, which no other country has yet to follow suit. You did mention that Canada is one of the worst uh, for some stuff. How does Canada rate in terms of its justice for?
2: Animals. Yeah, a lot of countries still don't even have basic animal cruelty laws, and we do. So we are ahead in that regard. And there's a lot of really dedicated people who are doing great things in law enforcement, in government. There, There is progress happening. Um, I would say one area that was really exciting in the last number of years is in Quebec. The province said that uh, animals are no longer going to be considered just straight property under the Quebec Civil Code. Now they're going to be considered sentient beings.
1: Hmm. So it's cool. It's not
2: an earth shattering change because we already recognize that animals can feel pain under existing laws, which means they're sentient. But it is a really important symbolic change to see that
1: written into legislation. And I think it's uh, indicative of where things are going. Totally. Well, and it kind of makes me think of how, you know, we refer to it as bacon when I always say, no, it's a pig you know, and beef. No, it's a cow. So it's kind of along those same lines, I guess. So yeah, yeah, getting language right is hugely important. And when people are allowed to use
2: euphemisms that really obscure the cruelty involved in a particular product, I think it makes it
1: much more difficult for us to get through to them. What is proper protocol if we do witness somebody abusing an animal? Like, do we call the Humane Society, or do we call the police? Like, what I think a lot of people wouldn't even know
2: what to do. Funny that you ask this question, because it's something we struggle with a lot. We get tons of emails and calls, (laughs) and it's really confusing for your average person. Heck, it's even confusing for me as a lawyer to figure out where a report should go because it depends what type of animal we're talking about, depends what province and even what city we're we're dealing with. So the way it works generally is that there's SPCA's and humane societies that oftentimes enforce animal cruelty laws and have like that legal authority to do that. But not all of them and not in all regions. So you really need to you know, be aware of, of where that's supposed to go. If, you're, if you even want to contact them, you can try the police as well. Bottom line, if you contact Animal Justice, we will help you out. Okay, good. And what we're, <laughs> what we're working on right now is actually a, a smartphone app to make this oh. super easy for people. So they can just open it up, tap a few buttons. It's, you know, it's a farmed animal. It's being transported. Oh, it's cool. in Ontario. Okay, that goes to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. So hopefully that'll be out sometime in the new year and we'll make it easier for people.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I love that. All right. Well, like George Costanza always does, I think we need to leave on a high note this episode since we did talk about some pretty heavy stuff. Can you share what is the greatest victory for animal justice that uh, immediately comes to mind of all time? We intervened at the Supreme Court of Canada, the country's top court,
2: in a really groundbreaking case two years ago this week, actually. And the judgment that came out said for the very first first time ever that protecting animals is a fundamental societal interest. So that's like a really strong statement from the country's top court.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: And Shannon, probably the best thing I ever witnessed was being in the courtroom for the the pig trial verdict. Okay. I just thought it was so symbolic and it was really awesome to be there for that. And what was the outcome of, of that for anyone listening? She was not guilty of criminal mischief for giving water to thirsty pigs.
1: Awesome. Like George Costanza says, that's it for me everybody. Thank you ladies so much for being a part of the podcast. Just being with you guys is inspiring me to make me want to do more activism so let's, uh, let's do it, keep in touch, and uh, I will include details for everybody to contact the lovely ladies of lovelyladiesofanimaljustice.ca on my website at jackedonthebeanstalk.com. So thank you, ladies, and everybody have an awesome week. Thank you for having exactly. us. Sam, this hey. was fun. Awesome. It was super fun. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did, despite Sarah not being there. Um, I also wanted to mention, too, that if anyone would like to support uh, these badass vegan Babes and Rep Animal Justice or Shannon's clothing company Fawn Apparel, which is really popular here in uh, Ontario, they were kind enough to offer a fifteen percent discount on all of their gear at both sites. That's um, animaljustice.ca, so you can visit actually shop.animaljustice.ca and or Fawn Apparel F A U N A pparel.com lcom And if you enter the code JACKED15 So that's J-A-C-K-E-D 1-5 at checkout you will get 15% off, and again, Canadian dollars, guys, so you're getting a sweet deal if you are in these States and supporting lawyers who are working hard to get justice for our little animal friends. Um, oh, and I should mention too that this coupon code is only valid until December 15th, so that means uh, you better add uh, Fawn apparel and animal justice gear to your Christmas wish lists. Alright, well I guess that sums it up for this week, guys. It feels so weird without Sarah here. I can't believe it. And I haven't even read the review of the week, but I just feel like I won't do it justice that that's, you know, part of Sarah's job on this podcast. So, I'll tell you what, I will save you guys the review, and that just means that you have a whole nother week to submit your podcast review on iTunes, um, and hopefully Sarah's voice will be back to normal so she can read it uh, next week when we come back, but I will still sing a song. Because I don't know if anyone out there even enjoys the songs, but uh, I thought it would be appropriate to sing Mr. Lonely by Bobby Vinton, going way back on this one. And yes, I know Akon did a version recently, but... I'm old school, guys, and uh, this reminds me of my mom because she used to sing it all the time and I know Sarah knows it, so uh, this one I'm dedicating to my beloved co-host and sister Sarah, who lets all hope gets better soon. Here we go. Oh, and I changed the words a little bit to make it uh, more appropriate, so here we go. Hope my neighbors next door enjoy this as well. Lonely. I'm podcast lonely. I have nobody to make fun of. Now I'm so lonely. I'm podcast lonely, wish I had Sarah, to sing this song with, Ooh, I'm lonely, alright guys, that's enough. Well, hope you enjoyed this interview with Animal Justice and that is it for this week's. Thank you so much for tuning in and for all the love and support you guys rock. This is Sam Shorky signing out.